Undercover Heroes Podcast. Welcome to a new episode of Undercover Heroes. Welcome back to Undercover Heroes Podcast. In this episode, we will dive into the second part of our two episodes around meat alternatives. In part one, we introduced our guest, aka our hero, Malte Rödel. We also talked about various concepts of meat alternatives, why Malte researched meat alternatives, and more. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. And uh, so, Malte, maybe uh, going back to our theme of uh, meat alternatives, yes. uh, we have here that there is some kind of a special relation between uh, meat alternatives and real meat, let's say, from animals. Uh, so one aspect that it seems to make uh, meat so special is the social association to a proper meal or something that you mentioned, I think, a uh, good life. Mm -hmm. And I can mention a bit of my experience, maybe uh, like in Chile, uh, where I grew up. And it's probably associated with what something you mentioned, like a barbecue. It's going to be a practice for... Um, staying with your family, with your friends, to celebrate something really big and go, being around the grill is part of a tradition, it's part of the culture. So um, uh, be out of this and thinking about not having meat for these kind of occasions and traditions, it's quite difficult and yeah, uh, that's mm -hmm. making I think this relation between the meat alternatives and real meat uh, difficult. What do you think about it? I agree. It makes it super difficult. And I think these these traditions and social gatherings are what what I understand from the academic literature, what makes it most difficult for people to to eat less meat or mm. to, to cut meat completely out, right? So yeah. it's maybe easy to to go to the supermarket and don't buy meat for a while and to maybe try to prepare something else at home. Yeah. But what's really difficult is going to your friend's place who has prepared a barbecue and then saying, sorry, I don't eat this anymore. Yeah. We don't do this. It's so difficult, right? Yeah. Because we're, we're social creatures. We're bound to approval by our peers and approval is based on what's normal, what's acceptable and what our culture says. Mm. So I don't really have a, have a solution to this dilemma except for... That's, I think, where meat alternatives are maybe important, creating some sort of acceptance to do things differently. So that's also what, what a researcher I, I quote quite a lot. They, they work with uh, Australian vegetarians and all have recently sort of become vegetarians, were interested in that. And then they say, you know, meat alternatives are what keeps me alive in these social situations because I can go to someone else's mm -hmm. barbecue and participate without feeling like I'm a crazy outsider. Mm -hmm. People may ask, oh, do you want this sausage? And I say, no, I have my own sausage, mm -hmm. but you can have a sausage. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you have a courgette instead of zucchini, that is a lot more difficult. So I really don't have a solution, but I think what happens, and that's also something I think I'm maybe hopeful about in relation to what I've looked at in my research, that the idea of meat alternatives shapes and, and, and influences what's acceptable. So we see more and more meat alternatives. We see more meat alternatives that are more and more like meat. And there's lots of names floating in the media. Oh, have you tried this? It's amazing. It's like as if you, it's real meat. But then you also have at the same time other things that maybe look like meat, but don't taste like meat. They're made of vegetables. You just have, I don't know, sausages with, with broccoli and tofu or something. Mm. Mm. 
And that doesn't taste like meat, it just looks like it. But it's still considered then a sausage and maybe then still an, an acceptable replacement. So what I found, or what, I, what I'm suggesting, hypothesizing based on these observations is that we not only copy what meat is and sort of maybe extend the idea of what meat is to, to plant-based alternatives, but by transferring this idea of what meat can be to plant-based alternatives, we open up a vi wider space of acceptance and of of um, variety what can be part of a meal what can be part mm. of a traditional context in which we engage with meat or in which we in which we find it important that there's meat in the middle of the of the table on the middle of the plate so i mean there's there's things like uh, vegan tur vegan turkeys in the, in the u.s for example um, that just look a bit like a turkey but are made of tofu and mm. that's okay and i think that's good to do but when you have it and when you make it visible then you create acceptance for alternatives so ultimately i think they you know they create a space where we can engage with the discussions and we can also silence them we can also say everyone eats what they want and that's okay mm. but we can also say okay look i eat this you eat this and that's okay everyone can choose this to some extent even though i don't agree that we can choose in the climate agreements mm. targets um but everyone can sort of eat what they want, eat what they think is best for them within this agreement of expanding meat to meat alternatives. And then we create a wider diversity and tolerance for each other. Mm. Whether this is good, again, from the perspective of we get stuck in a culture that values meat eating as the highest of all things and doesn't want to eradicate it by all costs, that's a different question. Mm. But sort of by bringing more vegetarian and vegan alternatives into these traditional spaces, we create space for acceptance at least. And we allow people to transition if they want to, mm. even though it's not the ultimate goal and the ultimate aim, but we, we create some sort of change and we enable change. Yeah, probably I've seen more like uh, barbecues in Chile that they include like grilled uh, vegetables and mm -hmm. nobody will say something like a joke that mm -hmm. would be something really common yeah. a few years ago like what it's yeah. your like, bunny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eggs and uh, yeah like yeah. why why this yes. it's not doesn't belong here yes, to this yes. kind of tradition but now i think it's slightly different and it's changing mm -hmm. in a way yes exactly and, and it's coming and it's changing faster and faster and we need to mm. really yeah. And it's yeah, it's the same thing you said like in in Tanzania if you have a party you should have meat in 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 that dish you mm -hmm. you're serving. It's either that and uh, some of us grew up in a family where um, my father sorry dad um but I have to say it. Um <laughs> my father would like if you cook uh, beans today, right, maybe rice and beans today. And then tomorrow you have beans or tomorrow you have something else like uh, any vegetable. And then the next day is vegetable. He'll he'll ask you, is the meat finished? <laughs> like, he he doesn't really think that is like a proper mm -hmm. proper food to mm -hmm. eat without mm -hmm. meat. So, I grew up in a situation like that. So um, I don't know. Maybe that also adds to my um, I'd say difficulty sometimes uh, in. Uh, um, seeing also like uh, adapting to uh, these uh, alternatives sometimes because I also when you speak I also reflect on myself and think of <laughs> oh I also have a problem here something <laughs> like that mm -hmm. so yeah I think uh, where you grow up in a social social setting also 
sometimes sets a, a, a stage for mm-hmm. how you view uh, these things. Yeah. And before the podcast, you mentioned that meat in Tanzania is like a status quo as well, what Malte mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because meat is expensive, and mm-hmm. not everybody can afford to have meat in their mm-hmm. in their diet. So you find most people with a low income would go and buy veggies because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. And if you have a bit of money, you have meat on the table. Or if it's a special day, you have meat because at least you find a bit of money to mm-hmm. to buy and have meat mm-hmm. on your on mm-hmm. your diet. So it's mm-hmm. some something like a sp- like a status having mm-hmm. having a mm-hmm. eating meat on your on your diet. But if you see somebody doesn't eat, who is not eating meat is maybe there, um, and not everybody, I don't want to generalize this, but it's either they want to, they have something they're doing like losing weight or something, or checking uh, more, becoming more conscious of what they, they eat, something like that. And those people are mostly, uh, you would find like they are either educated or elite, or they have certain exposure mm-hmm. of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, in a in a normal situation uh most people would uh, eat uh, meat a lot i mean I, I want to clarify maybe here my my opinions and my research are very much focused on the global north mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. then we had sort of we had this situation like you described where sort of maybe not everyone can afford meat so meat is something for special occasions something mm-hmm. you want to afford to display that you've made it right and then and then the global north became richer and richer industrial animal agriculture hit in Mm -hmm. and then everyone can afford all of a sudden to eat meat every day Mm -hmm. and that's the real problem right i'm not i'm not blaming anyone in tanzania for eating meat once a week what i think is a huge problem though is if if we go here to the supermarket are completely detached from the animals we eat Mm -hmm. and then do that every day in masses that's a huge problem Mm -hmm. right so so if everyone in Tanzania wants to eat meat every week, once a time, that's okay. But then if to afford this in Sweden, we also need to stop eating meat every day, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so we really need to think about, okay, what, what value systems are underlying this? And can we afford this as a society? Uh, and then I guess in Tanzania's case, we need to then think about, okay, can, when this scales up, so if, if, the capitalist idea of everyone getting richer and richer all the time and people will be able to afford meat every day then we will see if this becomes a problem mm. sort of it's kind of this this idea of the growing middle classes in the global south right if there's mm. more and more people that can can join this this market space where you detach from the from the food you eat and then you can afford more of it that becomes then more of a problem but again i don't i don't want to mm. blame anyone in the global south because really we're speaking of a problem of of huge affluence and of, yeah. of a detachment from land that is based in industrial animal agriculture. There's also in, in the global south, but also in, in the north, the Sami or, or traditional hunter-gatherer communities or, or, you know, everyone that's living in, in alliance with nature, that's something completely different. If we have traditional pastoral systems in sub-Saharan Africa, that's okay. I have no mm. problem mm. if these people whose livelihood depends on this, eat meat. That's, I think that's not the problem. The problem is if we do it all, all the time. Mm-hmm. That's the real problem. Um, I also personally think, for example, that things like hunting are very different from, from buying meat in the supermarket. If you are a hunter, you have a hunting license, you like hunting, 
you kill this deer or that deer because essentially we eradicated wolves from European land, then someone needs to take care of biodiversity and forest and that there's not too much deer, right? So, so we need to do wildlife management to some extent and we need to engage with, with animals as well. And then if you want to eat that deer that you shot, by all means do it because everything else would be waste of resources. So I think, I think when I talk about meat alternatives and the problems of meat, I really think about industrial animal agriculture where we do lots of it, often on small amounts of land, with lots of global movement of fodder and of resources and stuff and then plastic package it or sell it in the supermarket till. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real problem. Not not if anyone has three chicken in their garden and eating eggs. That's not the problem. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in your thesis, you also mentioned, which I thought was quite interesting because I've never thought really about that, is that tofu originated in China like over 3,000 years ago and even seitan 700 years ago, which seitan is uh, wheat-based. Um, and seitan was mentioned because meat was scarce and forbidden. Um, so it was a replacement. And then also when you look at World War One and World War Two, where you used like Fortschewald foodstuffs and nut meats because you didn't have enough meat. So because that back then meat was more expensive, but now like industrial meat can be way cheaper than alternative meat. And how can we kind of switch it again that meat that we use meat more as a luxury? and go back mm -hmm. to normal foods mm -hmm. or other not normal foods but others foods. <laughs> yes uh, again again here i think it's a problem of of taxation of where do subsidies go so in the eu we have the common agriculture policy that that takes a lot of money and gives it to farmers mm -hmm. and then how money is given to farmers often depends on how much land they have or how many animals they have and not how sustainable it is what they mm -hmm. do um, then we tax meat in many countries, we tax it the same way as vegetables. Maybe we don't need to. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't need to subsidize a system like that, right? So it is cheap because we do it a lot in small amounts. It's the classic economies of scale. Um, and because you can give animals things to eat, maybe that we as humans wouldn't want to eat every day, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to eat uh, mashed soybeans from the rainforest every day. So. So um, I think there's something about, about taxation and about, yeah, then we get to the inequality issue mm -hmm. from earlier again, but there's something about taxation and about, about putting subsidies towards the common goal of society that should be, I guess, to avoid biodiversity collapse and, and too much climate change. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if we manage to redistribute some of that money, then it's, it should be possible. Um, if you want to be more radical, then you just need to stop certain practices or forbid them regulatorily. Mm. Um, but that's an issue that often you can't get through parliaments. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but for individuals, do you see something specifically possible to do? Or it's just like uh, talking to our politicians, like most of the... Mm. I've seen this kind of suggestions and I don't know if... It's working is also yeah I mean I mean the problem with this um, with what do we recommend individuals is that we place agency on or that we place responsibility on people mm, yeah but really 
if we do that then we blame we blame everyone what is maybe the most economic thing to buy in the supermarket mm. or maybe what culture has brought them to do so what i think what we need to do more is trying to change the system in which this is produced and in the systems that make it possible to eat meat every day companies that, yes for example we need to we need to sort of start with the with the system that makes this happen as opposed to the people who do things um I think, of course, we can we can put blame or we can put responsibility on people who eat meat every day and in excessive amounts or throw it in the bin because they couldn't finish what they bought. Uh, that, of course, we can do. But I think it's a bit unfair to say, to say, oh, it's people's responsibility to mm. eat less because because this this implies sort of an argument that that you know demand and supply will regulate each other but then supply has no interest in getting less so they will make everything they can to not make you less meat so it's a bit of an unfair statement really you're asking people to do something that really you don't actually want them to do yeah. mm. um, so again it's kind of i think it's a scapegoat argument again to to stop change mm. um, that said of course i think it's important that everyone else uh, that everyone eats a bit meat a bit less meat and and to maybe value it a bit more um so the common recommendations are know where your meat comes from for example mm. i think here in, in sweden for example there's rekoringa. Uh, i don't know if you know these these are sort of places where once a meat local small farmers from the region come or maybe every other week or so and you order from them usually on facebook you order like a week in advance and then you say hey uh, i see you're selling lamb meat or sheep meat or whatever mm can I have a kilo? And then it's usually frozen and you just put it in your freezer and that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of things that come from locally where you maybe know what com where it's coming from that, that already helps to put a connection back in place to between mm -hmm. you and your food. Um, I think, yeah, I think generally that's usually the best idea to, to reconnect to the food and to really value what we're eating, think where does it come from, what does it do, and to not, to not go for the plastic package stuff from the supermarket mm. if, if possible and the plastic really here is not the problem but the plastic for me is a symptom of of a food system that places a lot of value on efficiency and looks as opposed to connection mm. so I, th I think yes of course we need to avoid plastic but plastic yeah if, if we separate it well then maybe we can recycle it in the worst case we burn it that creates emissions but the real emissions come from eating too much meat mm -hmm. and then here especially it would be uh, ruminant meat so cow and sheep are specifically bad mm. um, pork is medium okay chicken poultry other birds uh, often fish but maybe not all fish so that depends are usually a lot better so so it's okay i think to eat chicken meat if it's okay to eat chicken meat almost every day of the week if you then say you don't eat beef anymore at all mm. if if previously you have eaten beef every day of the week so i think for everyone is kind of making steps towards something and think about what implications does it have but again then i'm placing responsibility on individuals the best is of course to just eat vegetables and grains yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's a difficult feat here in, in, in central southern mm. sweden mm. Um, so earlier you also mentioned the drawbacks of meat alternatives and we wanted to like pick it up again go in a bit more detail um, because you have a really nice sentence in there that I would like to quote 
um, that uh, you say meat alternatives may present a long-term barrier to the elimination of non-human mm -hmm. animal meat in human diets, both practically and symbolically. What do you think would be a better solution to el eliminate meat? Yeah, I don't know if there's a better solution because because change happens gradually, mm -hmm. right? You can't you can't um, push someone who can't swim into the cold water and expect no. them to swim, right? So so what I've what I've learned from all my research is that we need to think in terms of we've discussed this in the course a lot in terms of practices, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of what what do people do and how does it connect their the stuff they have the competences they have and the value systems they possess. And so we can't just say stop eating meat because mm -hmm. with that we completely de-root, we, we decontextualize people's identities mm -hmm. and food is a huge part of our identity. So we can't just say stop that altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, what I think it is good for, what meat alternatives are good for is to make people at least eat less meat, mm -hmm. to make people maybe transition to become a vegetarian even though it's maybe not necessarily required if you replace it most of the time with uh, if once in a month or so you have actual meat I think there's no point in having mm. strict distinctions between food identities um, but I think what, what meat alternatives help with is allowing everyone to do something good for the environment without putting much effort into it mm. So, right, it, it doesn't cost you any effort in changing what you do and changing how you cook to just go to the supermarket and go to the shelf next to the one where you normally buy your shedbula and buy the vegan shedbula mm -hmm. and say, that's okay, that costs no effort. You can make mm -hmm. them in the same way. They mean exactly the same. Maybe they taste better, maybe not, but really it doesn't matter, right? Because some weeks maybe the meat tastes better, some weeks it doesn't. Uh, maybe the meat in, in, I don't know, Ica tastes better than the meat in Willis, right? Yeah. So so these arguments don't really really count, I think, of what tastes better. Then you just try a different brand and see what you like best. Maybe you add ketchup, right? So taste mm -hmm. isn't the problem. But the problem is we know what to do. We know what to expect and we associate something with it. So I think the best ways really to to do to do change sustainably is to create an alternative value system for yourself and your mm -hmm. communities to say hey, look, let's cook together something new mm -hmm. that we don't know that doesn't involve meat or meat alternatives mm -hmm. to, to create new ideas of what it means to eat well and to have a good time around food together. So uh, in my family, by now, things are different than mm -hmm. from when we grew up with. My older brother and his family are vegetarian. My parents are sort of happy to eat vegetarian most of the time. My younger brother and his partner, they still eat, eat uh, meats. Not a lot, but quite a bit. Mm. So then it's kind of like for Christmas, what do you do? And then it's things like, okay, maybe everyone can prepare a meal instead of having one big, uh, one big stew or big whatever on the, on the uh, kitchen table. So kind of thinking about how can we create new meanings mm -hmm. together around alternative food cultures and things like cooking, trying things out, doing things together and taking everyone on board mm -hmm. on the journey is super important to avoid what Aris said earlier, to feel left out of social situations and to just say, okay, let's try just a completely vegan barbecue mm -hmm. today. Let's see what different vegetables taste like or, or I don't know, just try different mm -hmm. things and see what works and see what doesn't work. And, and that's how we create new meanings and create new skills and, and essentially re-establish re what it means to have good mm -hmm. food. And I think that's the really important thing to not 
to not do one step but don't change anything but to think okay and maybe i need to change something and to do change the best is to to do it with other people and to create as i said the shared meaning making comes from sharing from doing things together and not from being in your own kitchen alone i think the point the point of trying is really good because i think i remember one day we were hanging out i think me aris and uh, other friends as well and because i know we have vegan in our group vegan <laughs> so i when i was buying something to eat there i knew i have to buy something that everybody would mm-hmm, eat mm-hmm. so i bought this um pizza it's a vegan pizza mm-hmm. and i've never well i've never tried to buy any mm-hmm. vegan stuff mm-hmm. so i bought this and uh while we were eating this pizza was really good <laughs> i was like wow <laughs> this is really nice and i have i've been actually eating that pizza ever since oh nice nice yeah so i i think i think the point of sometimes is to get people to try new things mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. really helps because you find out that you really like something that you didn't think you would <laughs> you yeah. like yeah 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 i mean it's also something we need to think of that doesn't happen from one day to the next right it's like what i said earlier you can't push someone in the cold water mm. but you need to take it as a as a progress and take it as a as a learning experience like all life is about learning right and mm. food is part of life so i mean when when i think about my own cooking so what i've done i've been living alone now for or like outside mm. of my parents house now for more than a decade and you know what in your beginning when you move out what you do you cook pasta and and, <laughs> <Classic. and sausage, laughs> right? and then and then you move on and you become better you try new things you cook with others you maybe live with people and they show you hey look mm. this is one of the best experiences i've ever had was sort of seeing how other people prepare garlic right and mm-hmm. i was always fiddling around with peeling it and then my husband was like why don't you just press it, you crush yeah. it. <laughs> and i was like wow this is so easy right so i think it's really learning happens by social interaction and not by you being yourself yeah and sort of by maybe maybe you have like guests over and then you think mm. okay i want to do something nice so i cook some new recipe i haven't cooked before mm. and maybe you really like it and if you don't like it then scrap it right then you apologize to your guests Mm-hmm. but uh, sort of i think there's really something about taking it as a as a progress and as a as a lifelong learning and not as a i need to stop by tomorrow even though it would be desirable mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um i i want to say something in relation to this sort of we can see this phenomenon that i'm describing this sort of we replace something with something else because it's virtually mm-hmm. the same we can see this also with things like electric cars right mm-hmm. so so it's like oh you should buy an electric car and what it does is it changes the engine and changes what gas you pump but it doesn't change how we engage with cities how we engage with transport mm, yeah, yeah. we still have cars standing like for 90% of the time in driveways on parking lots mm. right so the the problem is is not that cars have fuel but the problem is that we have a value system that values individual mobility and mm. flexibility so much that we can't just wait 5 minutes for the bus Mm. Mm. and then save on having a huge car in the driveway and maybe the one day a year or one day a month where you really want a car you can rent one mm-hmm. this is not the culture but the culture is i want this now because mm. i can mm-hmm. and that's the problem i think sort of this the avoiding these these false fixes because they seem easy mm-hmm. but we need to think about what sort of cultures what sort of social identities are underlying this and what can we do about this how can we change food culture how can we change cities how can we change mobility in a way that that allows us to to live differently and that's both a step that we need to take individually but also that that context can help us with by certain regulations emphases yeah 
things like that. So, um, is there anything surprising that you discovered while you were doing your research that you didn't uh, expect or or you, anticipate? Your your expectations grow with your research, right? Mm. So, I think I think the real surprises only come when you're not involved in your research or when you put your research through a machine, right? So, mm-hmm. so you can only have a real surprise that hits you unex- un- unprepared when, when maybe you do a statistical analysis and you put all your dots mm-hmm. together and then says, oh, actually, it goes the other way around. When you're collecting your data, when you're constantly reading, thinking, reflecting, there's no such thing as a surprise that hits you at one day. Um, but there's a few things I, I wasn't expecting or anticipating when I started my work compared to when I finished it. And part of this is like to think about how, how meat alternatives not only reproduce this idea of what good, meat, good food is, but also that they change it and that they amend it, what we discussed before. So to, they allow us to rethink what is meat actually. What does it mean to, to have meat on your plate or what does it mean to maybe have protein on your plate or something so so kind of taking it as a as an as a as a challenge to food culture and to say look there is now more more and more vegetarians and vegans because we always say hey people should act responsibly so now they're doing what does it mean for food culture how does it change food culture how does it put different things on the plates and on the tables and how do we negotiate that process um, so i think i was i was really surprised happy to to reflect on this bit of that there is some sort of change involved in this because we all of a sudden detach what a sausage looks like or what a steak or a burger or a meatball should look like from what is actually inside and i think that's actually super nice even though it, it maintains this idea of what it is and maintains that it should be there but we can detach it from the material context and that's i think already something really important and huge that it doesn't matter for some people at least or for an increasing amount of people it doesn't matter so much what is it that's inside as long as you can have a nice hamburger mm. Mm. they have achieved like uh, making really look like uh, meat kind of mm-hmm. uh, yeah food right now yeah totally it's impressive mm. have you tried some yeah but um, um I, i'm not sure if we're those that are really imitating meat as much because mm. now I was uh, before this episode I was looking at some examples that imitate blood in a way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I Beetle was juice, yeah yeah and I, and I was yeah surpri- uh, surprised for me mm-hmm. I, I, it wasn't something like that I, I tried it was like a veggie burger but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. not this kind of burger that really looks like meat yeah mm. yeah you just need to try a couple of things but then it's also like do you want something that looks like blood no, maybe not, right? <laughs> maybe it's better without. <laughs> if you eat your steak well done anyway, then there's no red left. So, <laughs> And it's not meat. I mean, you know, it's not yeah. meat. What do you need to eat yeah. dead blood? I don't know. Exactly. exactly yeah. So from, from this research and all your work you have done, what are your, what are your um, goals and uh, dreams from now on? <sighs> dreams i mean mm-hmm. I'm, I'm writing on a research application research funding application now so hopefully mm-hmm. from from the end of this year early next year i can i can do more fun things that mm-hmm. i like doing i think what what i really like to do is is to work in education i think that's great and i also really like to 
to do my research together with other people. I think this here is a great place to do things. I think when we speak about research, I, for now at least, I think I left food behind me a bit. And mm-hmm. now I study other things. Uh, so like currently I, I work in a project where we study business meetings, uh, which is super interesting. I want to work on a project where we engage more with, with online spaces, social media, search engines, uh, other other spaces on the digital immediate spaces actually that shape how we communicate and maybe also give context and content that shapes how we think mm-hmm. um so so currently we're preparing a paper on on search engines and how you know because you get certain suggestions when you look for something mm-hmm. let's say you look for for meat and then the first 10 search results will be about maybe where you can buy meat or what good meat is or how how you know, mm-hmm. what, what essentially they tell you about meat and then you need to look for something else if you want to find sustainable alternatives to meat, for example, mm-hmm. right? So, so looking at the systems that shape how we inform ourselves, how we create knowledge and create ideas, I think that's super interesting. Um, but generally, I think my, my research, I want to stay within, within this idea that technology in any case, so meat alternatives, search engines, uh, whatever you can think of, technologies and ideas and and the whole technosphere is so entangled with the social mm-hmm. and whatever it does, we have implications on the environment, on natural spaces, on climate change, biodiversity, whatever. And I'm really interested in this interconnection of putting putting technology and putting stuff into this space. So seeing not people as as blank spaces that negotiate and that discuss things out of context but people that discuss things because of certain technologies that are around them right so Mm -hmm. we would have very different discussions about hunting if we talked about bow and arrow as opposed to guns Mm -hmm. right or we would have very different discussions about about water power if if we had i don't know small dams instead of large mm-hmm. dams or something, right? So so technology shapes all the conversations and all the understandings that we have about the world. And I'm really interested in this. How how does our understanding of the world is created? How is it created through technology, with technology, creates technology? And how does it implicate our understanding and our engagement with the environment? And that's really what I'm what I'm interested in. I think we should have this conversation about technology uh Later, <laughs> we should we should have you back here. Yes, and, uh, yes. <laughs> ah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. sounds great. Yeah. So episode twenty four or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, we're coming to an end. Um, so you kind of offered like a little bit of inspiration earlier on, uh, such as cooking with friends. But do you have like other tips, recommendations, inspirations? It can be anything like books, movies. Behavior change. Maybe maybe you should copy what I said earlier now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Activities. Skiing. Again, it's it's like this kind of idea like who are we asking to change? Are we lecturing people that they should change what they're doing? Yes, we need to, but also I think it's a problem to do so. Mm-hmm. It's kind inspired. of inspire. Okay. Like a little thing. Like what's easy to do? Like cooking is easy. Like when you cook with friends, it's like, okay, let's have a challenge. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, challenges. Yeah, challenges are great ways, right? They're kind of this this gamified, I also research about challenges. Challenge. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or even on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, right? So social media spaces 
make challenges out of everyday life in mm. a way, right? Yeah. So the challenge is not to to create a picture, but to have as many likes as possible. That's the challenge that we're facing, <laughs> yeah. right? So I think this idea of challenge is so ingrained in in our contemporary lives of you know doing something, achieving something. And so if you think in this in this mm. context of challenge, then of course, yes, do it. Something like a challenge. Challenge your friends. Join, I don't know, there's things like Veganuary and other things mm. that help you with recipes and provide a context for trying something new. Mm. And if you need this, this space, then do it. If you feel like you'd rather do it in your own time, then challenge yourself. Mm. Just see what happens if I if I don't do this. And my key tip from my personal life is is um, I try to not have in the fridge what I don't want to have, right? Mm -hmm. So so you only need to keep self-control for the half an hour or an hour a week that you're in the supermarket. Mm. And then maybe you can still make compromises when you're at your friend's, when, you know, when, when your friend, uh, I don't know, made a really nice meat stew and you don't want to say no because they didn't know you're having a vegetarian week, then that's okay. That's mm. not the problem, right? But if you... Think in the supermarket, okay, this week I don't try to eat meat, don't buy it. And mm -hmm. then it's not in your fridge and then you just see what happens mm -hmm. with it. I love experimenting. I love buying things that I haven't seen before, sort of mm -hmm. just vegetables I haven't seen before and just see what happens. What happens when you bake them? What happens when you put them in the frying pan? What happens when you boil them? And sometimes you're like, no, I wouldn't do this again. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's great. And I think, yeah, I think making a challenge out of your life and making a challenge out of experimenting, I think, I think that's what we try. To do maybe I usually I talk. usually I usually do that when I cook if you ask me what I'm cooking I don't have an answer exactly I just, <laughs> I just go yes. and just put stuff in and then yes. just uh, come up with something and, yes and, and then people are like what did you do yesterday um, stir fry <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and, and I don't know about this um, once I hear a recommendation about uh, don't never like you should never go to the supermarket if you are hungry. Yes. This is the worst thing you can do <laughs> yes, to yourself so because you are going to pick everything that is unhealthy or mm. the easy thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm. <laughs> I do that sometimes and usually then I end up with way more sugar than I yes, normally have. Classic, classic. <laughs> yes. So Malte, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we are now ending the, this episode, but uh, it has been a really nice conversation with you about meat alternatives, uh, understanding more about values uh, and all of things that are around this topic. And thank you very much. Thank you very much. I thank for you coming. for having me. It was great. And uh, see you in episode 24. Maybe. <laughs> yes, why not? <laughs> And also, thank you, uh, everyone listening or following our podcast. If you want, you can like us, comment, uh, share everything we were talking about. But yeah, uh, so see you in the next episode, I guess. This is Undercover Heroes. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> you forgot to say subscribe, you know. True. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Undercover Heroes, a podcast supported by Mr. Environmental Communication and the Division of Environmental Communication at SLU.